hi everyone, Justin Bell here on Drive to Win from the Win Las Vegas. Uh, we've got a great show for you. It's sort of a second generation thing, but we're talking about the dads here, not the sons. I've got Jan Magnuson, father of Kevin Magnuson on the show. Couldn't be more excited. He's an old friend. We've raced against each other, raced for the same teams. So I'm very excited to hear his insight, not just on his career, but Formula One in general. And of course, how his son Kevin is getting on. Well, we are here in Las Vegas, and I tell you what, if you are a tourist walking through the wind right now, you had to come in past all the roadwork on the strip outside where they are preparing the surface of one of the main straights for the Formula One cars to be going at 212 miles an hour right outside the front door of the win in just a few months' time. Now, as you know, the Heineken Grand Silver Grand Prix of Las Vegas is going to be an epic. It's the inaugural race. And certainly the buzz, the sensationalism, the drivers are posting about it. You know that from a marketing point of view, all the teams and sponsors are gearing up for that big one. But so is the win. And go to winlasvegas.com slash experiences slash F1. And you can find out about all the ways you can come and be a part of the action. They have packages for everybody. So go and check it out. It's a pretty cool one. So as I said, Jan will be on the show in a little bit, but let's talk about the Belgian Grand Prix at Spa, Francochamp, uh, at the weekend just a few days ago. Because of the magic of the global TV broadcast and the Formula One live app, you're able to catch all the all the practices, all the test sessions, and and all the races. Now, this weekend was a doubleheader. You had the sprint format on the on the Saturday and then the main race on the Sunday. Spa is notorious for rain, and we talked about it last week, that it's one of the biggest things they're going to have to deal with, and for sure it was. It was raining most of the weekend up until the Sunday when they had a, a little sprinkle of rain during the race, which just added a bit of excitement, especially for Max Verstappen when he got a little snap sideways in the middle of uh, La Source, which, oh, oh, Rouge, which is one of the most dangerous corners in history. One of my friends said, uh, I think that... It wasn't that bad, was it? I said, well, I'll tell you what, if it hadn't been for his sublime skills, quick reactions, and the downforce of a Formula One car at probably 170 miles an hour flat through a kink, and the compression in the car, if it hadn't been for all those things, it could have been one of the biggest accidents we'd seen in generations. But uh, talking about generations, I wanted to sort of dwell a little bit on the domination side of Max Verstappen. He, once again won this weekend. He won from fifth place on the grid. It doesn't really matter where you put him on the grid. It's just like a a cat baiting a mouse. At some point, it's going to fall victim. And that's what happens to everybody in Max's path. Uh, I mean, he was born in Belgium, so it's probably quite nice for him to, to take that victory there. But it is a runaway train. He is now on eight in a row. Sebastian Vettel holds the record at nine in a row in 2013 in a single season. For the team, legitimately, it's 12 in a row, kind of 13 if you include the last race of last year. But what a, what a spectacular feat. Uh, but you could be, you know, you wouldn't be sort of uh, mistaken by saying it's getting a bit boring. And I've been thinking about that a lot because I've had friends talk to me about, oh, God, Formula One's boring at the moment at the top. And and obviously, we said it last week, If if you're not watching Max's domination and you're watching the rest, it's it's a bloody exciting race. There's so much going on each week. Other teams are rising to the top. They're competing. Ferrari, you've got, you know, Aston poking their head in again. But it's really Max's role at the front and what he's doing is once in a generation stuff. And I'm, I've 
recalibrated my brain from, God, that's a bit dull, to let's see how far this runaway train can go. And there's many examples in sport, aren't there, of people that have just dominated against otherwise also brilliant talent, whether it's Tom Brady in the Super Bowl. I mean, who can win a Super Bowl without him? And he's getting older, but he continues to bring himself to the front and and help his team win. You've got Michael Jordan, he, what, six NBA championships. That's extraordinary. And, and dominating in an era of otherwise brilliant talent as well. Uh, Tiger Woods, 82 PGA Tour wins. Think about that. Some people just want one on their mantelpiece of the trophy to say they won one uh, PGA Tour event. 82 of those. Serena Williams was number one in women's tennis for 319 weeks, including, uh, God, I think five or six, five Wimbledon titles, singles titles. Extraordinary. But when you look at it, and I think this is something you've really got to get a, a grip with, their background, the way they were raised, the intensity of the training, the grooming, if you like, uh, not the grooming we talk about right now on social media, but the grooming that these kids had to be excellent athletes is something to behold. And I mean, Serena Williams, I'm sure, and her sister Venus, I'm sure we saw the movie. I'm sure it wasn't always pleasant being pushed that hard to, to be at the top. We know that for, I mean, Tiger Woods, as Jeremiah, my producer, just said, I think he was on like the Tonight Show, at two years old. I mean, isn't that ridiculous that he was he was showing everyone how to, you know, swing a golf club at that age? These these kids had no option but to strive for excellence. And while their friends were probably out having chasing girls and having a good time, they were just focused on becoming who they are today. Of course, once you get the spoils, it's all all right. And I think that quite a lot about Max. We know, especially when you just look at his father, Jos Verstappen's face. I mean, when Max doesn't win, his dad looks like, I mean, dad looks like he's, he's the biggest failure and disappointment he's ever had as a child. But but when he wins, you see him smiling and everything. And you know that guy pushed, you know he pushed Max in a way that very few kids would be able to handle. But now Max makes tens of millions of dollars a year. He's the arguably the best driver of his generation uh, I'm sure he he wouldn't change a bit of it, but on the spot, but it was a bit tough. Of course, it isn't the first time we've seen it. We, I mean, whether it was Ayrton Senna, Michael Schumacher, Lewis Hamilton, Lewis still racing against Max. Um, you know, they all had their pretty much their their time at the top as well. So I just think it's incredible. So let's change our attitude. Let's think to ourselves: How many races in a row will Max be able to win? And I think that the more adversity that comes towards him, the more pressure in the latter half of the year, we're just going to see him rise even higher. We're going to see even more extraordinary examples of the depth of talent. But the other side of it is, of course, it's not a solo effort. He's not a, you know, it's not a mountain climber on his own. It is a driver as the tip of the iceberg to a huge organization that is Red Bull Racing and led by Christian Horner. And you you heard Christian say after the race, almost with, I mean, it was almost with awe. He just said Max is just performing on a level that, that we can't, can't almost comprehend. And remember, they have insight into the data. They can see the data trace from the car, what Max is doing different to Sergio 
And I think when you have that level of insight, you're probably even more impressed than we are. But of course, it's not totally perfect. And it lends some humor. And if you don't understand the relationship that Max has with uh, Jim, Jim Piero Lambias, who's his race engineer, who's actually been with him, alongside him from the first time he ever sat inside a Red Bull Formula One car. And they've been together so long and there's a father-son relationship and not beyond being almost scolded, reprimanded. And maybe that's what Max needs in the car as well, to have someone that won't bow down to him. And their radio calls were hysterical. Like, you know, don't forget, use your head, Max, please. And just follow my instructions, Max. It just provided a lot of entertainment. And the fact that Max is able to consume that and uh, absorb it and answer back uh, like a cheeky kid uh, was also a part of it. One of my highlights was right at the end. I don't know what you thought when he was so close to the end of the race. He had over a 20 second lead and he just said, well, should we just come in for another pit stop and put fresh tires on so we can get fastest lap and it can be a pit stop practice and and uh, GP just went, no, we're not going to do that. Anyway, kind of fun. I enjoyed all that. Uh, just a few other bits of news. I said Oscar Piastri was someone that we should really take a, take a keen eye to. Obviously, Lando doing so well over the last two races until Spa. Uh, but the, the pace was there at times for them. But Piastri was second in the sprint race on Saturday. And again, the mark of a future champion in that he was happy. But he was also like, I, I, it wasn't a real race. I need to, I need to win one of the big ones. And that pursuit of excellence, that lack of, I guess, satisfaction for second best is is the mark uh, of of someone that's really, really good. And remember, these guys won everything on the way up as well. So they're used to being champions, just not in Formula One yet. It was great seeing Aston running a little bit higher up again. Uh, Alonso had a dismal sprint race, crashing out, but on the Sunday, I mean, he got fifth place uh, the day after his 42nd birthday. So that was that was cool. Happy birthday. Um, and Alpine, well, Alpine News has been all over the place with news of their top management getting fired, but I just and released. But it was a day that I really enjoyed watching both Ocon, who finished eighth, and Pierre Gasly, who finished 11th. I just thought it was fun to watch them. And, and it must be so tough as a driver when all this turmoil is going on in the team because... I promise you as a driver, even however strong you are, there's, you have fragility if you don't have consistency and support from your team. And I thought they did an, an excellent, excellent job. Uh, well, it is the mandatory summer break coming up for Formula One. They're, they're supposed to down tools and just like hang out and uh, enjoy a much needed break. And uh, that applies to the team as well as, as well as the drivers. But I'm sure the teams, I just can't imagine that with some of the teams having the issues they had over the past weekend at Spa that they actually totally don't do anything. That would seem crazy. But what would you do if you were rich, handsome, a Formula One driver, young, and you could do and go anything you, anywhere you wanted for three weeks? I think I'd, I'd work it out. I never had that opportunity. So uh, I'm kind of jealous, but I bet it's going to be fun following all the drivers' social media as they head off and, and have a good time, which we're, we're going to as well, but I'll talk about that in a minute. Um, my guest, Jan Magnussen, uh, 24 Formula One starts. He didn't find his footing in Formula One, really. He did not uh, 
reach the results that he had expected. I know that Sir Jackie Stewart called him the most talented driver to emerge since Ayrton Senna when he hit the scene, uh, and I'm sure that was a little bit of pressure on his shoulders. Corvette Racing, he won four Le Mans 24 hours in class. He won three 12-in-12 three 12 Sebring 12-hour wins. And of course, he is the proud father of Kevin Magnuson. Very excited to have him on the show. He's a, he's a good buddy of mine and one of the Flying Danes, actually known as the Flying Dane. Jan, great to have you on Drive to Win. Thank you. It's good stuff. It's been a while. I, well, I saw you at Le Mans, didn't I? Walking around there you were with your family. Yeah. Um, but uh, I know you've had a busy summer. You're racing as much as ever. Yeah. I think uh, this year, total 22 races or something like that. My so, God, man. Is it, retirement, is it busy, retirement, yeah. the R word. The R word is not happening. Uh, no. no, it really doesn't. So, but you, uh, just just then you were saying you, you, you've you been taking your young, Kevin's younger brother karting. You, yeah. My God, you're making a, you're making a factory of these things. Making it hard on myself. That's also why the retirement is, you know, way off into the future. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but uh, no, Luca, Kevin's um, little brother is doing well in karting and we're just uh, starting to take it a bit more seriously and going off to Italy and racing there, you know, yeah. getting beat up, but yeah. learning a lot. I'm sure. You told me once that, um, you, you know, about, we were t- I can't remember who we were talking with, but we were talking about how, Kids have to, you know, the parents obviously can provide the opportunity, but the kids have to really want to do it. And you told me that Kevin just wouldn't stop bugging you to do it. I mean, no. as in, talk no. about that. Yeah, he was, uh, it, so b- back then it was easy with Kevin because there's always, there's always the, um, the sort of balance between uh, how, much, how much should you push your kids uh, to, to do something. It was very, very easy. You know, we didn't have to push him. He was pushing us to, he needed to go drive. He needed to go test and practice. And, uh, uh, you know, it, it felt like that, you know, he'd stop breathing if we didn't do it. <laughs> so, and, uh, yeah, so it was easy. It was easy with him. Luca is a little bit different. He was uh, later, it took a little while for him to get interested in. He <clears throat> liked being at racetracks and uh you know, and watching racing, but it's only, he's, he's 13 years uh, old now and it's really only two years ago that he started taking it seriously. So, so far it's been cheaper. Yeah, cheaper, cheaper so far. But it is, <laughs> uh, it is a mind-blowing investment of time from the parents <laughs> and, and obviously you, with Kevin, it's, it's paid off, but the funnel of kids trying to make it, yeah. it's got bigger, hasn't it, from when you did it? Yeah, for sure. Uh, and uh, in many ways, uh, that there's a lot more karting championships. There's so many categories. Uh, and they're all filled with talented young kids that can, uh, uh, where, the fa- where the families have the money to go and do it in the right way, because it's also quite expensive mm. uh, to, get, to get into it. And once you get to do European championships or world championships, even like local, uh, like Italian championships, mm. uh, the, the the money you have to come up with is is pretty insane. So, for in, for Lucas' part, <clears throat> it's all carried by sponsors. Uh, I try to stay. Uh, so I'm there watching, 
Uh, to begin with, I was his mechanic and all that mm-hmm. stuff. But I learned from my time with Kevin that uh, there's a fine line between being a dad and being a coach. And it's much, much better than being a dad. Yeah, I'm sure it is because, well, we've all tried to teach our kids something. And, the, and I mean, I'm teaching my son to drive and he's giving me some crap about it. And I'm like, you can, you can, <laughs> you can disrespect me in every other world. But when it comes to driving, <laughs> you're going to listen, yeah. right? Exactly. I know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, uh, it's, it's the same, it's the same thing. But when it comes from dad, it's hard to, 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 to take in without any feelings. Um, so most of the time, if I have something super important that I want Luca to, to know and to, to learn right now, I have to, I have, almost have to say it to somebody else that then can tell Luca. Isn't that what a crazy thing? Yeah. And then it'll be good advice. And then he's like, God, dad, I learned this brilliant thing. You're like, I know. Um, do you remember for yourself? Cause I mean, obviously you were so freaking quick when, especially, you know, when you were younger coming up, do you remember for you? And then with Kevin, that moment when your parents and the, the racing world around you went, actually, Jan, Jan's got something here. He can be good enough to, to make it. When was that moment for you? And then when was it you saw it in Kevin? Uh, for myself, it was um, so my first international go kart race. <clears throat> so I did three, four years of go karts in Denmark, uh, just local championships mm-hmm. and uh, not nothing big. But in ninety, uh, oh, sorry, in eighty-seven, all the way back in eighty-seven, uh, my brother and I. My brother's my mechanic, and he was the one sort of making sure I could drive, and he. Um, uh, so we went and did the world championship just as a one-off and just wanted to see where, where we were. And, um, and it was a fantastic weekend and a little bit of luck, but, uh, we were also good and we ended up winning, uh, the world championship in the first go. So <clears throat> that was, that was the moment for me because it, I proven to myself, uh, but I was only 14, so I couldn't wow. go to cars. Um, so I had to to do some, uh, a lot more go-karts, which was great and a fantastic place to, to, to learn about racing. Who was on the grid? Who was around you at that time? Big name wise. Uh, uh, Rubens. Oh, was Keller he? was, uh, he was in that race. Yeah. I pissed him off. That was the first time I pissed him off. <laughs> and, <laughs> uh, Coulthard was in that race. Gavin, uh, Oliver Gavin was there. Christian Filippoldi, uh, Emmanuel Collard was there. Wow, what a so, good lineup! Yeah. yeah, really, really, really yeah. strong guys. And and, when, and with yeah. Kevin, when when was that same moment for you? When you saw him, uh, that so uh, because I was footing the bill in go karts, okay. he did not have a good time in go karts. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, so I, did, I I couldn't provide what he needed. Uh, so it wasn't until he got into cars in Formula Fords where it was so obvious that there was something super special here, mm. and. Um, uh, and that's that's when people got behind him also in Denmark, and he had backing from some pretty big sponsors uh, from back home, and and one of them took him all the way to Formula One. It's is what a, what a story, you know. I got yeah. I was just thinking when you used the phrase, you know, it's 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 better to be a dad than than a coach. But you also did something that's close to m- my heart, which is um, you went to Le Mans as father and son, 
And I got yeah. it. I actually have that great photograph. I meant to send it to you and him of him with his when the car broke down. Unfortunately, he, they were walking. He's walking to the car with his wife, but he had his little baby on his shoulders, and you know he looked yeah. he looked relaxed. I, I need to send it to you. Um, but that is another dynamic that only my dad can articulate, right? And you can with Kevin. Yeah. The the difference of being sharing a car and having that emotion of teammate and father. It's yeah. it's different, right? It was a fantastic. Uh, so the result was was really bad, and for that I'm uh, I'm sorry. But everything else was such an amazing experience to uh, to be there and to 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 do uh, Le Mans together, one of the biggest races in the world. There's so much uh, so much effort goes into it, and it's a tough tough race. Uh, we had really high hopes for the race because we had tested super well and we've been fast and. And then everything really went downhill as soon as we got there. Yeah. So that that was a shame. But all the rest was so fantastic because I only there's always been talks, you know, especially here around the table, you know, who's better, who was better when I was younger, and all, all this, you know, father son uh, teasing each other. Uh, but there it was, well, it's pretty obvious that he was faster. But seeing data, you know. Uh, getting to know him using my own data on top of his and seeing where we differ and where is he good and where, where was I good. Mm. Um, a f- fantastic way of, uh, of discovering parts of, you know, Kevin that or parts of my son uh, or anybody's son that normal people wouldn't get a chance to do. Yeah. I, it's, I mean, for people listening, if only you could experience that, if everyone could experience it, it's like you're seeing a heartbeat of, you're yep. actually seeing your son's heartbeat and how he reacts to things. And in a simple data trace, you see so much of a personality and a style and the way they hold yep. the wheel and everything. It must, yep. you must have been like, and and he must have gone, dad, you're faster going in the Porsche curves than I am. Or, you know, I mean, there's moments, yep. right? That yep. we have these things things that work and uh, also so being a sports car racer you share the car with uh, one or two other guys for the whole year and there's lots of reasons to be completely truthful with them if you find something if you're doing something if you see them doing something wrong but there's always just a little bit you kind of tend to hold back because you're also trying to keep your job yeah Uh, where with Kevin it was like Completely honest. Yes. Uh, and if I if, if I saw something, I you know I gave it to him immediately, uh, and all of it, uh, and and uh, for sure it felt the same way uh, for me when when he was trying to you know teach me a different way of going on the brakes into say Porsche or yeah. or something. F- yeah. Phenomenal. Was fantastic. I started yeah. off the show, and you've got some insight into this better than anyone uh, about these superstars like Max. You know, and yeah. Kevin, who's who's doing so well, and he's returned to Formula One. But you look at the people in history: Serena Williams, Tom Brady. Uh, I mean, the, you know, you can go through all these guys that dominate in a generation. And you said it a minute yeah. ago: it's always a balance of how hard to push. But every yeah. one of those kids would have had days when they're like, "I don't want to do this," and the dads yeah. are like, "We're doing it." But now, on yeah. reflection, of course, Max is having the light time of his life. Yeah. What's your advice for dads and how do you look at that? Because I know Yoss was a real tough bastard to his son, right? At many times. It's legendary. Absolutely. 
but yeah. but he's created yeah. the right guy. Yeah. Where's the argument? <clears throat> What's your thoughts? What do you want? Yeah. I, I think it depends on what you want as the end result. Is it? Um, I mean, there's that's, that's a lot more to it, but you have to choose between, you know, having a son by your side your whole life, or just for a short time, hmm. because I th- I think it's very easy to uh, to ruin a relationship, a father son relationship that way, um, and you have to to try and find that balance is how much. Because it's very, very hard to push anybody without alienating them a little bit. Mm. Uh, and I don't want to do that with my kids. Uh, other people might have, uh, you know, you, you you push your kids when you're trying to learn, uh, teach them. But um, but there is a limit. That's how hard how hard can you push? Uh, because it's it's tough, and it's coming from. Uh, so when you are the kid getting pushed by your dad, it's coming from a, a person that you love and respect, and uh, it's just not nice. <laughs> no, it's really tough, and and yeah. you see it whether again, Lewis, even from a management point of view, you know, Lewis had to push his dad aside for a while. Uh, the Williams had to push their dad. I mean, it happens. It's too intense, too much, too much going on, too much investment, yeah. and you probably have to yeah. step back. And I, I've always got that impression. Well, n- you know. You obviously love and care and are so proud of Kevin in every way, and you will be of Luca. But yeah. you, 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 maybe having your own career, Jan, has been a blessing because you've also yeah. got to focus on that too. Yeah, and I still get to focus on that, uh, and I think that that's uh, being that's been, that was beneficial for Kevin because I didn't I didn't have the chance to be there all the time, hmm. looking over his shoulder. Um, but we had a we had we Kevin and I had to have a sit down where things had re, things were really bad between us and it was hard for us to talk about anything really because it was all about racing and we agreed you know this stops now I'm not your coach I'm not you know going to be your manager or anything like that I'm going to be your dad I'm going to enjoy the ride with you uh, and um, that took a lot of tension away from him and. Uh, me as well. I think that was, it was a lot easier for me. And in the end, it didn't really change so much in what I was trying to teach him and what I wanted to teach him because now we could just talk about it. It was yeah. just a normal conversation. There was no pressure that he had to do what I told him. Um, and uh, it, was a, it was much better that way. Yeah. Well, good for you guys for, for having the, the maturity and him to be able to handle it. Um, but talking about handling it, let's just jump forward. He's the cars are extraordinary. The demands on the drivers blow my mind, you know, what they have yeah. to deal with now. I mean, Drive to Survive was great for the sport. They're all making more money. Everybody's got more money. But the pressure is that they're, they're, they're in demand every second of the day. Uh, yeah. But when, it, when they're behind the wheel, it's again, it's, I, I call it putting the helmet on. I was telling my girlfriend, Mylani, the other day, I said, you know, she said, you know, we're talking about the pace laps. And I said, well, once you put the helmet on, it's the same at Lamar, isn't it? You go, thank God for that. It's just me. Yeah. It's me and my guy. It's quiet. Is that the same? That's <laughs> yeah. the same for him and all the Formula One drivers now. But what are the differences to your day in Formula One in terms of demands physically, mentally, intellectually? Because the steering wheel is a different yeah. bag, isn't it? Crazy. I mean, technology. Yeah. 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 <clears throat> so uh, the... Um 
the amount, the sort of the, the generation of drivers that are uh, racing now, uh, what they are able and capable of coping with uh, in terms of information coming in from the team, the stuff they have to do on the steering wheel, changing uh, programs and, uh, you know, tuning, basically tuning the car on the run is, uh, I don't think I would have coped very well with that. Uh, and uh, I remember when I had my first button on the ra- on the steering wheel, which is a radio. Yep. And it kind of pissed me off a little bit that now it's not me. Now it's somebody else in my ears. And mm-hmm. yeah, it, it just wasn't. Uh, uh, and, but what they do now, so that, that's a whole, I, I can't even talk about what that would be like because I have no idea how much uh, it takes out of a driver to be able to do that without losing lap time. Um, in terms of the physical, I think it's obviously it's harder. The cars are faster. Uh, so there are more G loads on the body, on the neck. Uh, I know the amount of Kevin, uh, the amount of training that Kevin does. It's, uh, you know, he's in the gym every day. Uh, even on days where he, you know, where he lands in the morning from somewhere and he goes straight to the gym because he knows that if, if he doesn't do that, uh, you know, he won't be able to do the job. Um, when I drove, it was tough as well. It was tough on the neck. Uh, we didn't have power steering. It was, uh, the steering were, was tough. And the, I think the main thing, if you look at the, all of the cars today, uh, you see the onboard stuff, the hands are completely still and they, you know, yeah. they go around a corner and yeah. there's no sewing. There's no. there's no big, if you look at onboard from Senna, from Monaco and whatever it was, man, he was busy. There was <laughs> yeah. 10 hands on the steering wheel and he was shifting some H pattern. And, uh, <clears throat> um, yeah, so, uh, but still driving, driving the car on the limit, uh, all of the time and managing the tires and stuff. I think it's much more in the, uh, you know, managing, uh, your head. Yeah, I think so. And thank God for the, I mean, we didn't have simulations, but simulators, but they get to learn. I mean, there's no other way to learn the steering wheel than other than spending hours in a simulator without looking down, turning. I mean, I, I don't, I, I struggle with changing the brake bias, right? I mean, yeah. that was enough for me. I'm, I'm, no? I'm, the same, I'm, I'm the same way, you know, it's, uh, I like the sim, simplicity of driving when you're just driving and you're not doing anything. That, that's what I love. I feel like I'm in a, you know, in the zone uh, and I feel I'm doing something, you know, for me at this moment. Uh, just me in a race car. Yeah, I love it. Well, before before we just do a, a little fun question and answer thing, um, I started off saying I, I've changed my mindset on Max. I'm embracing mm. it. I'm going. Let's see how far this can go. How how dominant he can be for how many races? It's let's watch greatness happening. I mean, there's no other way to yeah. do it because I know it's a bit boring, but it's unbelievable. Yeah. And you and I can understand that. You yeah. watch Spa. He could have started 15th, he'd have still have won. I mean, give me your thoughts on on what he is actually achieving in this era. Uh, so I'm a bit... Uh, so I've, over the last couple of years, <clears throat> also had to change my mind on him. I was... Uh, I don't, I, so I, I still have... You know, I look up to guys uh, that are racing. I, I find... Guys like Max now, uh, super, super impressive. Lewis, the same. Uh, was, uh, you know, it's hard not to be a fan of, of talent like that. I was always a fan of Kimi yeah. but because he was Kimi. 
yeah, with Max, I think we are seeing uh, something unique. I think it's he has to be the best there ever was. Well, that's a pretty good answer. There you are. I think you're right. <laughs> well, now it's time for the uh, Mobile One Pit Stop, which is fueled by Mobile One. I'm going to ask you a couple of questions, or a few questions here. Um, who was your fastest teammate at Corvette Racing? Antonio Garcia. The quiet, deadly, quiet, deadly Spaniard. Um, what yeah. did you say the first time Max said, I want to be a professional race car driver? I mean, not Max. I'll say that again. <laughs> I'm thinking, well, you would have said, go for it. Um, uh, what did you say the first time Kevin said to you, I, I want to turn pro? Well, it didn't happen just like that, but uh, in in my heart, that's what I was hoping for him, uh, and he's made it, so everything's good. Any superstitions when you raced? Uh, no, but I do like things to be done in a certain order. It's uh, it's not that I'm if I maybe there might be a little bit of superstitions, but it's it's just about doing how do I put my gloves on and uh, there's a certain way of doing things so I know that things correct. Why does everyone in Denmark speak English? Because there's only you know like three or four of us, <laughs> and nobody speaks <laughs> nobody else speaks Danish. Oh, is there what era? Would you have preferred to have raced in, or did you race in exactly the right era for yourself? No, I think I was lucky to be uh, racing, uh, especially in Formula One, in the nineties. I think the nineties was a fantastic era with the engines and the noise, and the, and more than one type of engine, you know, V8s, uh, V10s, and which was. And finally, you you kind of alluded to it earlier, a dinner table conversation. If you and and Kevin were both eighteen at the same time getting into a race car or a cart or whatever, who would be faster? Well, that's, we've talked a lot about that and, and we can't really agree on it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't blame it. Um, now, finally, the, 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 the uh, and this is just before I let you go, but uh, your predictions for the second half of the season? I mean, obviously uh, for Kevin, I mean, they, they're there, they're right there. There's, there's a lot of mix yeah. and turmoil and developments and upgrades uh, how are you feeling the last half of the year will go for him? Uh, I think they'll get obviously better than what they are now. I think they're on the right track with their uh, with the uh, upgrades on the car, uh, and I, you know that there is a lot coming in the second half. And you know, fingers crossed that that it, that it works. But um, yeah, it's they're kind of stuck. A they have been stuck a little bit in the last few races. Same problems that uh, having tire issues um so um i think it'll be it'll be better i think yeah. i hope and i think that they'll be in top ten, fighting in the top 10 every time brilliant well yeah and it's so good to talk to you what's your next when are you when are you racing this weekend probably aren't you i'm racing this weekend yeah okay. there's a big street race in denmark in the touring cars in tcr wow. how fantastic so nice to see you i hope to see you before the end of the year all right mate absolutely Thanks good to see you take care buddy bye Thanks. Well, I don't know about you, but I learned a lot from that conversation with Jan Magnussen. Uh, obviously, one of those drivers that uh, his own career has been very successful, not inside Formula 1, but as a sports car driver. The, he, he's just one of those guys that is formidable in a car, but now he's breeding an entire army of, of young Magnussens. So that's a pretty exciting thing. Um, so thank you, Jan, for being on it. 
Well, I thought I'd, I'd wrap today's show just giving you a little bit more insight into the world of the Collect Car Concours. And I know you hear me talk about it every show uh, for good reason, because it's a world that I'm very involved with. And you may say, oh, it's just for rich people and their elite unicorn style cars that I'll never be able to afford. But actually, it does a lot more than that. It's it's the environment where, yes, wealthy people curate these cars and keep them alive and evolve not just the condition of the cars, but the legacy, perpetuate the legacy of cars that were incredibly important in the history of the automobile going back to the turn of the last century. I mean, I've driven cars that are over 100 years old, and it's mind-blowing how far the technology was for the year, year and the era when only just a little time before we were going around in horse and cart. So it's that's one of the fundamental parts of it. It's also allowing us to understand how the car influenced culture and how culture influenced the car. And from in Japan, where the cars are so much smaller because the environment is smaller, but we've had some incredible brands evolve from that Nissan, Honda, Toyota. And then over in Europe, you've had, whether it was McLaren, Rolls-Royce, and you have Bentley and Ford, I mean, Ford is American, but all the great British brands, NG and the like, that helped create car culture in the UK that spread over here to the States. Meanwhile, here in America, you were creating these monstrous cars that were symbolic of post-war prosperity and the ingenuity, the hot rodding brilliance of the California car culture. So there's a little bit for everyone. And the car concord, when you hear it, isn't just about bringing along pre-war Duesenbergs that you go, what has that got to do with my life? They, they're just so, so they're resplendent, but almost there's a disassociation from what certainly for me, I don't, I don't have an empathy for them. I don't have a, a visceral connection. But as soon as I get into the 50s and 60s, there's a connection to those sports cars, the, the great Italian sport car. And you see that when you go to a car concourse. So that's why in a in a world where you have Villa d'Este, you have Pebble Beach Concours d'Elegance, which is literally the pinnacle. If you win at Pebble Beach, you are one, you your car is worth millions more and you're forever etched in automotive history. And that's exactly what we're doing here at the Win Las Vegas Concours. It is establishing itself as the new car concours on the scene. What does that mean? Well, obviously with a clean slate and the imagination and the resources of being here at the Win with the beautiful golf course behind, they're able to reimagine what a concours is like. They are changing the way judging is done. It's no longer guys in blue blazers with gold buttons and straw boaters. Instead, they're trying to make it more dynamic, more reflective of the times we're in. Yes, they will still have some extraordinary cars that epitomize the the whether it's the Gilded Age or pre-post-war. I'm not talking about Gulf War. I'm talking about World War II. And it's just incredible to see that. And one of the cars I want to tell you about is a 1939. It's a Delahaye 165, which was first seen at the World Fair, but it is being loaned to uh, the win for the Concours from the Mullen Museum um, and who have the most incredible collection. But when you see that car, you'll go, with no, no ability to have, you know, they had no resources like computers to design it. They had no error, understanding of error other than basically putting their hand out of a window. And you see this car and it it is just the purest interpretation of power, design, and presence. And that's going to be here.
But then you fast forward and Rolls-Royce are bringing their Spectre, which is the all-new electric Rolls-Royce that, quite honestly, is probably the most powerful Rolls-Royce ever built. They, it has all the signature elements that a Rolls-Royce should have in terms of luxury and performance, but it's electrified. So you're going to be able to see both ends of the spectrum. That's just a, a slice of what you're going to see here at the Las Vegas Concourse. So please visit um, lasvegasconcourse.com and check it out. And maybe you can't come to the Grand Prix, but if you are anywhere near coming to being able to attend on Saturday, November the 11th, I promise you, this is redefining what the car concours is. And yes, it is something that is applicable to you as well as a racing fan, because they got a lot of racing cars coming. Well, you heard us uh, talk about the summer break. It is the August break for Formula One and pretty much a mandatory break for everybody involved. And you could see if you follow them on social media, the drivers were elated as they said bye to their engineers and headed off to spend some of that hard-earned money that they have, and they have a lot of it. So uh, I imagine places like St. Bart and all these beautiful places around the world on yachts and jets, and I'm not jealous. I mean, I really am jealous. It just sounds amazing. But I was just thinking to myself, does that mean everyone in Formula One has time off? It just doesn't make sense to me, especially for someone like McLaren and and Williams and with all the upgrades and Mercedes with the bouncing they had on the straight, they've got to rectify that. So I bet there's people putting in after hours work. I mean, I don't know, but it just seems to make sense to me with uh, the second half of the season being so important to play for. We're not taking the whole time off. We'll be back in a couple of weeks, mid-August. We're going to give a really fun recap. I've got a, a couple of great guests I'm going to be bringing on the show to sort of recap the first half of the season. But don't forget, follow along at Drive to Win on Instagram and uh, at Justin Bell TV. If you want to send me any questions that you want to ask, uh, my guests who are very much involved in talking about Formula One and have been for years, and we're going to really dive into some of the elements that made this first half of the season great. So if you have anything I want to ask, please don't forget to DM me and I'll bring you up on the show. Guys, thank you so much for watching Drive to Win. Thank you to Mobile and The Win for having me involved. And it's been a great time. Enjoy the next week. Bye. Hey, race fans. Justin Bell here, former racing champion and host of the new F1 podcast, Drive to Win. What is it about a race that's so exciting? The breakneck speeds? The constant pressure? The ever-present threat of danger? Or is it simply the driving? Think about it. No phones, no laptops, no screens. Just the world's greatest drivers, cars, and the ultimate freedom. Yep, it's all of the above. Mobile One, for the love of driving.